Hello everyone and welcome to Design Untangled and me Chris Mears and Carla Lindarte and today we're joined by a very special guest all the way from South Korea, uh, Jenna Yim, who is Chief Strategy Officer at Protopie. So hello, welcome to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> yeah, so what we like to do first generally with our guests is just if you could give a bit of intro about yourself, kind of your background, how you got to, to where you are now. Okay, cool. So as Chris mentioned, uh, my name is Jenna, Chief Strategy Officer of Studio Seed, the maker of ProPi. So I studied industrial design and started my career as a UX designer at Samsung and LG. And in 2004, I decided to go to Canada suddenly <laughs> because my English was <laughs> English was really terrible. <laughs> And I have a lot of funny stories about going arriving in Canada and not being able to speak English. <laughs> anyway, so in Canada, um, it was really my first time being abroad and experiencing a brand new culture so different from Korea. And it was really eye-opening experience to me. Uh, so after experiencing the culture, I really wanted to get a job there because, I mean, as a UX person, it's very interesting. I wanted to know more about how these two different cultures and the countries approach UX differently. So I got the job and then after working as a UX expert, and then as my career grew, I started becoming more and more management role and then strategic role. Eventually, I led the digital business of Publicis and Neuron Canada. And um after working in a digital consultancy for 20 years in the marketing world, I always had a dream to have my own product. I think as a UX person, you want to see how my product can grow and then see, I mean, maybe almost like a taking care of like a baby, right? And then fortunately last year, um, I met Tony, who is the CEO of Pi. So we went to the same school. Actually, we, we both studied industrial design together. And then he asked me to join the company because um, Pi they wanted to grow globally. And um, so I I joined. <laughs> and then ever since I um, worked as a CSO, helping the company grow globally, as well as to develop the brand, vision, growth, and customer success of the company. So I'll cool. say... Wait, how old were that? How old was the company when you joined? How was my company? Um, how, so I, yeah, how old was Protopi? Um, so when I joined last year in July, it was really, really we were just in, just starting to get the funding stage of the Series A extension, and also I'll say the company was five years old, and it was really um, you can think as a, like a typical startup. Uh, really great designers and engineers focusing on making amazing product, which they have done amazing job. But I say, mm, yeah, about the making great product in terms of the sales or marketing or brand, you know, or yeah. thinking about the global perspective, it was maybe not as uh, advanced. <laughs> so a lot of parts that I wanted to make sure that uh, people think more globally, as well as we put more thinking towards our brand, you know, there was a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, so it's interesting that you say that um, moving to a new country, not speaking the language, actually experienced exactly the same when I moved from Colombia to Australia, trying to get a job in the industry. And I can see that um, you kind of started more to in the kind of advertising side of things, right? In 
publishers. So what, and, and obviously Isobar, etc. So how was the change from like moving from that world into, you know, a product startup um, environment? Was that, how, how did you experience that? Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, even though I was working in the advertising companies, but most of the, my role was um, more as a digital user experience and then strategist thinking about the long term of uh, my client's business. But definitely moving into more marketing side, coming into the product side was very interesting and very different. Obviously, the pace is different. And then also you cannot just think about the short term. Right. You have to really think about the long term values of the uh, brand and the company. And um, I think the biggest difference is probably is um, in a software industry, we have to think about not just about um, the software and the features, but we need to think about ultimately what we want to do and then how we want to influence in the workflow. I think um, that was probably the biggest uh, mindset change for me because I mean, in the marketing or advertising world, you cannot, you can sometimes work in maybe airline business, but sometimes you maybe work in the manufacturers or sometimes maybe you do promotions to sell more, you know, drinks, right? But in the software world, especially as you guys know, design tools, changing tools uh, requires a lot of investment. This is your portfolio. This is your career. And then for company, this is your business. And then um, you need to always thinking about the efficiency and the process and the, every aspect of it. So I'll say definitely coming from the marketing advertising world uh, is a plus thinking about how we can think about the go-to-market strategy and the market fit. But uh, I had to really go digging into deeper understanding our customers deeper and then making sure that we found the right value in their um, existing day-to-day uh, workflow. I'm, I'm interested in digging into a bit more like the culture shift between how different companies run like um, in North America where you obviously spent some time and now South Korea. Like, is there a noticeable difference in... I guess just generally like company culture there and more specifically like tech company culture that you've observed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, this is interesting question. Um, I, first of all, I don't want to overgeneralize it, but it's based purely based on my experience. Um, I'll say maybe not North America, but I compare between Canada and Korea. So in Canada, as a UX person, when I joined uh, the company there, the most interesting thing that I found was um, the focusing on minority and inclusive design. So in general, in Canada, uh, for example, uh, I was working on um, wireless service company uh, website and the digital experience. And the brief was basically, they wanted to make sure uh, include people from 20s and all the way to the 90s. So I did a usability testing for 80 years old uh, grandfather. <laughs> Whereas in Korea, it was more focusing on technology. And a lot of times the design is inspired by technology. It's the same wireless service company in the leading um, in Korea. And then I did a project in back in 2004. And 
uh, back then they had the video streaming available for the uh, online and they wanted to use that technology <laughs> and implement it in the site to show that we are leading edge company. And the brief was like, um, we want to focusing on uh, people in 30s because they are the one most spending time in the e-commerce. So it was very different mindset. So I'll say Canada was uh, more about supporting diversity and minority versus in Korea, it was more inspired by technology. Yeah, it's always interesting when you test with those older demographics because, yeah, as we know, the population is sort of naturally getting older. So that's going to shift as time goes forward. And obviously, age introduces a whole host of different kind of design considerations and stuff. So it's definitely good to hear that they were doing that in Canada quite a while ago now. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's that trend has continued. It's also... Um... I'd be interested to know as well because um, coming from a a background like a, a background of of um, you know a different background that is not in Colombia etc. Being a, a woman in leadership is actually very tough. Um, you know where I come from, um, and then obviously moving into UK, Australia etc. is a, is also tough, but is slightly different. So you've obviously. Um, had quite important roles uh, both in Canada and now in Korea. How do you see the difference like, as a woman in leadership um, for you uh, between the two cultures? Oh, that's a really tough one. <laughs> um, I mean, in Canada, uh, I was woman, but also I was uh, Asian woman and also immigrant. <laughs> So I had all this combination and I'm sure Carla, you have experienced that as well. And um, I think um, there are some commonality in both culture. One is um, it's very hard to find um, role model in this um, as a, a female leader, but also especially in Canada, um, there were a lot of my mentors as well as a lot of the um my managers, they were uh, male, white male. So I think um, at, in the beginning of my leadership, I think I, I had a little bit of identity challenge because um, it's almost like a Korean woman trying to manage like a Canadian man. <laughs> and it took me a while to kind of um, find my own style. <laughs> and then eventually I was able to merge the culture. And in Korea, though, I'll say it's not, it's not just about male versus the female thing, but I found um, people are very uh, <laughs> strict about uh, compliments. And, and there are a lot of people um, with a lack of self-esteem or confidence issues. So I, I actually find it very interesting that especially the designers that people, they think uh, they, their work is not good enough and they push it harder and harder a lot, maybe more than uh, what I've seen in North America. Uh, so I think I try, I really try to um, raise that because sometimes I found, especially Korean man culture, uh, you can see um, they are not as maybe talkative. <laughs> you may have seen the movies like Lost in Translation. I mean, that's a movie in Japan, but there are a lot of the kind of the stereotype of typical uh, male leaders who maybe not as talkative, you know, or might maybe not giving as many compliments and praises. So, I I actually trying to use um my female side to embrace that and then uh contribute to the culture. I hope that answered the question. It was quite a difficult question. <laughs> 
And have you used any kind of specific techniques for that to kind of encourage, like, I suppose, praise or honest feedback, stuff like that, like design crits or anything like that? Oh, yeah, I think it's very, very difficult. I think, first of all, we have to make sure breaking down the task into the smaller chunks. So in a way that uh, people can see the completion of task, but the measurement of the task is very clear. You know, when you just say, oh, I want you to design this really well, then how do you measure that, right? But if you say, um, this element is of the purpose of this, and then I want you to make sure you consider this aspect. And then when it's delivered, obviously, we should celebrate the little moments every day in the business. I think I try to use that a lot, making sure that when I tell people what I'm expecting, it's very clear. And then when it was delivered, that there's never a good good day to celebrate. It's basically every day to make sure that people hear the feedback. Cool. So yeah, I guess we'll move on to Protopie itself now. So for those that kind of haven't heard about it can you describe sort of what it is and what makes it different from other tools on the market at the moment okay so uh protopie uh basically the name comes from prototyping as easy as pie <laughs> so basically it's a no code um easy learning but super powerful uh proto- interactive prototyping tool um i'll say um Maybe if I have to just summarize in a one sentence, then it will be a design tool uh, that empower designers and engineers to express their ideas through interactive prototyping. Um, the part that I want to emphasize is that um, expressing ideas um, because we found it um, sometimes it's very difficult, especially these days when digital experience is getting more and more complex. Sometimes um, you have a really great idea, but you cannot really uh, think about what would be the best way to show it to your stakeholders or show it to your team without engineers or heavy coding involved. Um, for example, let's say, you want to design a content is payment experience, but you want to make it better how the two phones maybe interact with each other, right? So we wanted to develop a tool where uh, previously you cannot imagine how these things could be done easily without coding, uh, such as using sensors, you know, hardware controls or multi-device experience. We're trying to provide opportunity for designers and engineers to uh, exploring the idea um, with uh, with a less time spending learning the tool. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that does. So obviously, there's quite a lot of competition in this space now. You know, you got Figma XD, etc. Um, as you mentioned, like changing tool or bring a new tool on can be quite an investment for a company. So, is there anything kind of specific that you would say this is you can only do this in Protopie and and nothing else? Like, is there a standout kind of reason designers should check this out or consider it over and above one of the other ones on the market at the moment? Hmm. Um, so I'll say the biggest differences are um, is, um, we support not only Mac, but also PC and all the other environment, but in, especially in the ecosystem, a lot of times the pro- existing prototyping tools, the output is the browser. But in our case, um, we can literally support 
anything that has screen. So you can use your cell phone or, you know, maybe a kiosk or even the displays in an automotive vehicle. Um, we actually have a lot of customers use our tool to um, prototype their concept car uh, experience. Uh, so I'll say uh, the ability to uh, use the multi-screens as well as the, any digital displays, uh, even including voice and audio. So I think that is definitely uh, the uh, key strengths. But at the same time, we do believe that no tools can survive in isolation. So we actually see Figma, Sketch, or all the other tools as a complementary tools. So we want to make sure that uh, we support the uh, smooth transition between tools uh, in each tool and then making sure that when they use ProPy, they can really get into more high-fidelity prototyping and more highly interactive uh, experience. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'm interested to know what kind of, what are your users? Who are the kind of, the, um, the kind of people that are using your product at the moment? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, Beyond, you can think about just the typical websites or mobile apps. Uh, the interesting cases that are using our product, probably Microsoft. So the latest Microsoft Neo and Duo, they actually fully prototyped the experience using our tool because the product actually has a multi-screen. And then you have to think about the how the two displays interact with each other, depending on the context and scenario of the use cases. So that's one. And also Google Chromebook used our tool as well. And like I mentioned, the automotive industry, a lot of the um, automotive um, uh, manufacturers in Europe as well as America use our tool to um, develop their in-car experience. Uh, yeah, and, and we were very fortunate, actually. Um, like I mentioned, before I joined the company, the company probably didn't spend much at all in marketing and sales, but we were able to gain like uh, over 100 countries of the uh, customers uh, from all the high-tech industry and then uh, global leading companies. <laughs> Great. Sorry, I have to say that I have a delay um, when I talk. So you, if you hear like a silence, it's just me trying to talk. Oh, no worries at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I want to ask you, so what's your role there? Can you describe what you do and what's your team look like? Yeah, so uh, as Chief Strategy Officer, uh, I am responsible for everything but making product <laughs> so brand growth sales customer success so i actually um our company there's a three main division uh, one is gcs growth and customer success and then second is obviously product and the third is its uh, information transaction and security so i lead the gcs division and within GCS, we have a team in charge of the brand and then customer engagement, customer success and growth uh, and digital experience as well. Mm. So basically, we want to make sure that mm, we inspire our, our customer, uh, customers as well as the potential customers, what they can do using our product, but also we're trying to help providing as much as support possible. So not only, you know, initially, um, maybe giving them the trial or the selling the product, but we want to, we want everybody to be an expert using our tool and then also become the frontline, uh, hearing the feedback from everybody who touches our product. So basically that's mainly my role. I'm interested to talk a bit about the, 
the whole fundraise. So just remind me, were you at Protopi when that kind of Series A stuff was happening or did you join after? Yeah, so basically the starting from the first week I joined, that was my main focus in the beginning. <laughs> So so it was a very interesting experience because, like I mentioned, um, I was in different side of the world in the business, you know, and this is my first time working in a startup, working in a software company, and also first time doing um, uh, the fundraising. (laughs) So it was a lot lot of learning and very exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So can you talk us a bit about like what the process for that was? How how does a startup gear for for going in front of investors and saying, you know, give us a few million dollars? <laughs> um, I think um, it really depending on what stages you are in, you know. So, for example, if you're in the early stage versus the Series A, Series B, um, it will be very different. Um, but in our case, Series A, mostly Series A stage means you already launched the product, and you have a good momentum in the market, but now you want to get the funding to really accelerate the growth, right? So first of all, when you meet the investors, you need to make sure you wow them, right? And then second of all, you need to think about what the vision is, uh, how you want to grow your market, and um, and also what is the really the value that um, nobody can replace uh, your product, right? And uh and the fundraising starts from literally just going to any conference, uh, any conferences or fundraising event and talking to so many investors. It's almost like a blind date. <laughs> you go in and then talk to like a five, 10 minutes and then meeting so many different investors to mm-hmm. all the way actually you reach out to the investor you want to work. Or actually in uh, North America, there are a lot of, and a lot and a lot of the great, um, Investors specialized in software industry and also especially design tools. So it was very interesting during this process. We got a lot of calls from the investors who actually already know about us. And then they wanted to learn more about us to see that if this is the right tool. And one great thing that I, um, I, I found during this process is that People are very interested in uh, design process, and obviously, the design is really important these days more than ever. So, people do see that value having um, great tools and uh, toolkits supporting this design workflow, as well as the uh, the championing the digital transformation within the company. So, uh, I'll say in this kind of cases we can actually learn from the investors as much as um, uh, we're trying to tell them, you know, why they invest in us. So I value this type of relationship a lot. Yeah, I'm just interested to know, it probably depends on the investor, I guess. But do you feel that having that that kind of VC money in a company affects or influences like what you have to produce? Are investors looking for you to do a certain amount of things in a certain amount of times? And does that affect the decisions you might otherwise have made if you didn't have that investment? Yeah, I mean, I heard, I actually, I do hear that a lot, but I think we are very lucky or maybe, um, Maybe it's because of the, we ha- we were very clear on what we want to do, and then our investors actually support that journey. Uh, we haven't actually had an experience in a way that our investors are pushing us, saying you have to make sure go to market by this time, or you have to launch this type of feature. Mm-hmm. Um, we 
we, I, I actually feel that with our investors, it's very strong partnership. Sometimes I actually ask them their guidance on how we want to approach the market and then discuss. But I think the trust is definitely a really important part. And probably the biggest changes after I joined the company is that I really trying to share our uh, short-term as well as the long-term vision, making sure that we are in control <laughs> of our product. And I think once you have that, um, there will be less engagement from the investors or less push from your investors saying you have to do this in this way because they actually trust you that the executive team are fully in control of your product. That is really, really interesting. Thank you for that. It's kind of gives me... Um an idea of what that looks like. So thank you so much. Um, I would like to ask of, um, you know, something that everyone is talking about right now, COVID-19. Um, so obviously everyone is working from home and I think that's impacted how teams are working anyway. So how has been your experience? And, you know, it, you do you think this will have a, a lasting impact in the world of design? Mm, I think... Definitely yes and no. Um, I do think there's an immediate impact is obviously, you know, we cannot really do things that we used to, right? Like, for example, you may have to consider remote usability testing versus actually in-person testing, right? Um, those are some kind of things that immediately impacting. But in the long term, I do think, I mean, we will overcome this hurdle for sure. But this this brought the opportunity and emphasizing the importance of the communication. And you cannot just rely on, for example, in-person meeting face-to-face, but how can you collaborate in remotely? And I think this is not, I mean, obviously this got accelerated because of the COVID-19, but the globalization overall, people are not just working locally, right? We have more and more staff globally. So I think this is something that we should work on, but this kind of brought it, making sure that company expedite the process of making this change very quickly. Um, for Protopie, uh, we are very lucky because um, in South Korea, first of all, um, um, very fortunately, it wasn't as um, as a uh, severe impact compared to other side of the world. So I'm very um, grateful about that. But also our company, when even it was in the middle of the COVID-19, we already uh, have the culture of the remote work basis, as well as the people have a very flexible hours. We have a staff everywhere around the world. So yeah, it, it hasn't impacted us as um, dramatically, but it did impact in one area, <laughs> uh, which is we definitely prioritizing some of the features that was in our roadmap, but maybe trying to bring it um, more earlier uh, to bring into the market because we think this will be more critical than ever. And for example, one of the features is uh, interaction recipes. Um, because it's a pearl pie, you know, pie and recipe, <laughs> you can kind of see the connection. Uh, but basically, <laughs> it's a handoff experience. Basically, we built. Um, as you um, as you know, you know, uh, there are a lot of the handoff discussions, especially um, from the graphic design to coding. But when it comes to interactive design. It didn't. It doesn't matter. Even if you created an amazing high fidelity prototype, you 
it, at one point you have to hand this off to the engineers and the communication is really difficult. Sometimes after making amazing prototype, you have to make pages and pages of documents. And we wanted to make sure to make this easier. And that's why we made this feature. You can basically record and then um, exactly show your intention of the design and then engineers will be able to see based on the recording the timelines and then code aspect is generated i it's hard to explain i really recommend you to take a look but um we we wanted to bring this feature earlier sooner than later because we felt that especially the time of covid19 the communication between engineers and designers become more critical than ever. And we wanted to make sure that uh, how we can support this kind of the workflow um, uh, in these current challenges. That's um, really great and interesting how you guys prioritize your features based on what's going on in the world. So that shows the flexibility of how you guys work. Um, and obviously we can put a link in the podcast no notes to the video that showcase that feature um so people can understand what you were talking about <laughs> it's, it's really it, it is it is hard to explain but it's really cool um i looked at it it's really cool um uh one it could be a stupid question but what kind of design tools do you use apart from prototype prototype that i guess you you guys use um just just curious to know what how what kind of tools do you use as a team um to keep everyone connected? <laughs> we actually use so many different tools like any other design team. Um, but um, yeah, on top of ProRoPi, <laughs> we do really like Figma a lot because of the, um, the collaborations. But uh, also we use um, all the other tools as well, like uh, Adobe and Sketch, making sure that we know how to uh, test integrations and everything. And this is not necessarily design tool, but we because of we work in the remote environment, you know, Notion, Zoom, and or Slack. <laughs> and technically, if you just name any of the hot softwares that people are using, that we are using it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone is um, Zoom. Um, everyone uses Zoom now. Everyone uses the same. Now, just wondering, you know, because you guys do a prototyping tool, what kind of other prototyping tools you use? But it's interesting that you use pretty much like other design teams, anything yeah. that is available. Yeah, and also actually we do we use our other tools that are in the same um, uh, competitive set as well. <laughs> I mean, because like I mentioned, we don't actually <laughs> see any tool as a competitor. So we do test, uh, you know, a lot of times with Envision or Framer, you know, Principle. Yeah, we basically open to use anything. <laughs> do you find that um, that causes any issues within the design team? Like uh, people loads of different people using loads of different things or is it still like although you're using lots of different tools you're all kind of using the same lots of different tools mm, i think um definitely in the process there will be um more major tools than uh others right and i i, I actually think the workflow is very more important than what tools you are using and obviously uh the design systems and um the language that you are using making sure sure that there's a consistent experience those are a lot more critical but in terms of the tools I, we do believe that you need to explore more because it for us it's not just a part of the workflow but it's a research process as well right 
Oh yeah, and actually, I did hear your last episode about、um, specialism, and you talked about you know how these days like people are looking for more generalist,、mm-hmm. and we are actually going more opposite direction.、Mm, we do really value the specialist a lot, <laughs>、um, and that's one of the things that after I joined the team, we really trying to bring the specialties because I really don't believe that one person can do everything, and if a company. Requires that I'm not sure if it's the right way because it's almost like you have a one role and then fit person into that role versus you know every individual have a different strengths not only to mention different roles right yeah so we try to making sure the bring different perspective and if there's a role for UX there's a role for product design the role for interaction designers and role for brand designers right so、uh, I also I wanted to mention that we are hiring researcher <laughs> so if anybody is interested <laughs> you can contact us <laughs> yeah I'm sure there will be plenty of listeners who are on the job hunt maybe myself as well I'll send you my CV <laughs> oh awesome <laughs> Uh, but I, I have to say, our team is really nice and very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think we kind of go into the end of this interview. Thank you so much for your time. And we normally, when we have、um, guests in our podcast, we ask them a question at the end, which is、um, if there is anything you can recommend to like young designers or maybe just older designers like us to.、Um, Read or a book to read, or someone to follow, or something to watch,、um, just to help them be better at their jobs. What would that be? On top of that, we support the future designers and provide all students and schools provide for free, so you can try that. <laughs> But on top of that, my recommendation is、um, I really recommend maybe searching product led growth as an overall theme and maybe take a look. Because I do believe that product is become the brand and the value,、uh, and as you do the research, you realize how much design and great use and great experience of the product supports the overall ecosystem of the company. So I think it will be definitely a lot of a lot of the great resources out there. But if you are really want to getting into the product world, I say product led growth is definitely one of the hot keywords that you may want to take a look. Cool. Thank you.、Um, so yeah, that about wraps up today.、Uh, so thanks for joining us.、Uh, it's been great to have you on. Hopefully, we can have you back on in the future and see you know what new stuff Protopie or or yourself gets up to. Thank you so much, Chris and Carla, for having me. Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at designuntangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.